Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We are continuing our journey through this, uh, this letter from Paul to the church at Corinth, a letter that um, contains uh, a lot of instruction, guidance in terms of how we live uh, our life in community. Uh, Paul has been writing to the somewhat troubled church, trying to instruct them uh, in terms of uh, errors that they're making, trying to correct some of the problems that uh, have manifested themselves in this particular group. And uh, as we've gone through that, we, we came to chapters uh, 7 and 8, uh, and, and we encountered a, a discussion that Paul starts to, to take part in there concerning the issue of the balance between um, liberty and license. That is, how do we find that balance between the freedom we have in Christ and our responsibility to represent Christ well? Um, because some in this church um, were taking the approach that, that said, man, we have, to, we have to harden ourselves. We have to punish ourselves. We have to uh, do things in a way that, that um, show the world that, that we're willing to give up everything. And so uh, they had walked away from, from sex and marriage. They had walked away from from several different other activities, eating certain meats and so forth. We looked at that. Um, and Paul's saying, no, you're, 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 you're misrepresenting Christ. That's not the freedom we have in Christ. But on the other hand, you had people who were saying, man, I can do whatever I want. I, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Um, you know, all things are permissible to me. And Paul says, no, not all things are, 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 are beneficial. So don't, don't be pursuing those ideas that you can just do whatever you want especially bringing the issue of sexual immorality into the church. And so we've seen Paul go back and forth about this issue. And as we, we started in chapter 8, we, we, we looked at the, the, the finding that line issue. And we, we've noted these things as we proceeded so far, that our relationship to each other, our relationship to or the freedom we have is, is founded in accountability. That is that I'm accountable to you, you're accountable to me. We have a relationship in Christ that defines the limits of what we can do in many ways. That I have a, a mindset, I have a perspective that, that says I have to be mindful of my brother and sister in Christ as I carry out certain things. And we talked about how Paul's motivation, his purpose is, is always to be working toward unity. That that is really the number one precept that, that Paul is is about in this book. He starts with it back in, in chapter 1, and, and he continues with it as his guiding principle throughout all the instruction. And we're going to see that continue on when we get into the issue of spiritual gifts later on in the book. That Paul's guiding principle is we need to be unified as believers. We need to be uh, of one mind, of, of one heart. And then we said it, it's mitigated by love. Love guides our decisions. Um, and love is defined as a selfless commitment to someone else or to something else greater than ourselves. And then last week, as we looked, looked a, a little bit deeper, we noticed that, that Paul says you need to rely on the Lord, on, on what God teaches you and, and how he instructs it. We have to be responsible to the people, and we need to make the gospel a priority. And this is where we pick up this week in verse 19 of chapter 9, as, as Paul is continuing this, this, this litany of, of dealing with the freedom we have in Christ. The question is, what do we do with that freedom? 
we've talked a little bit about the boundaries, and we'll talk a little bit more about boundaries today. But what do we do with that freedom that we have? I know that was a, a big question for me, and I'm sure it's a, it's a big question for a lot of students on their minds right now. When, when I left for college, I, I went to college 13 hours away from home, which meant I had a lot of freedom all of a sudden. I'd grown up, you know, in, in a household with, with a dad who was, who was pretty strict in terms of his expectations, in terms of what he uh, carried out, what he uh, implemented in my life. And now here I was 13 hours away from him. And uh, that's a lot of freedom to suddenly throw on somebody. What do I do with that? How do I responsibly deal with that? Students are asking that question this week as they start school uh, all over the country. What do we do with this new freedom that we're experiencing? But I, I would say that, that the question as a believer is, is even more important. When we come to Christ, we surrender ourselves to him, we place our life in his hands. Paul says, for freedom we have been set free. And we have that new liberty. We're walking in that grace. We're walking in a, in a relationship that's secure, that, that's not dependent upon our whims or our failures or our mistakes. We're walking in a relationship that, that is secured for eternity. And we have that new experience of freedom. We have that new experience of life. The world just looks different. What are we to do with that? Where do we go with that freedom? How do we express it in a way that's consistent with our faith? Well, Paul seeks to answer that for us in this last part of chapter 9 this morning. So let's take a look here, beginning in verse 19. It says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. To I have become all things to all people, so that by every possible means I might save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who com competes exercises self-control and everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul seems to jump back and forth again between law and freedom here in this passage, as he's done repeatedly through these through these chapters. I, I'm under the law, and yet I'm not under the law. I'm free, and yet I'm a slave. I'm, I'm this, I'm yet I'm that. And, and, and you see this, this these contrasting principles at work here. But if you follow the logic of his argument, you discover that, that he is, in fact, instructing us what we need to do with the freedom that we have in Christ. In many ways, he's defining the extent of our freedom. 
And so let's dig this a little bit further in here to, to see what that, the, the first principle we see here is that we can authentically meet people where they are as long as we don't mischaracterize the gospel. In other words, where, where Paul starts in terms of the, the freedom he has is that I, I'm free to meet people where they're at because people are different. People are going to see this issue different. He's already dealt with that extensively here, but even, even outside the church, you, you find people dealing with the reality of who Christ is differently. The, re, the reality of what that might mean and what that might look like from different mindsets. Well, I, I'm sure we've all met those people that, that you know, they're one way and the second they find out you're a Christian, you know, well, they, they start acting completely different. And, and that difference can, can go one of two directions. It can go, well, I'm going to clean up my act in front of this person. You know, don't say words like that in front of this person or whatever. Or it can go the other way where they, where they get just a little bit more what? They get a little bit more honoring. They get a little bit more in your face. They get a little bit more um, confrontational, so to speak. And, and that's what? That, that's two different ways of how people view God. And how they view what God's going to do, it's already manifesting itself, even though they have no real relationship with Christ, their perspective is already manifesting itself in how they respond to you and what they think is appropriate or what they think they should do or how they should carry that out. So Paul here advocates in, this, in these verses what? I, I become all things to all people so that by all means I may save some. I have that freedom. But he suggests he... He intimates that that freedom has its limits. It's not a it's not an anything goes mentality. Okay, he doesn't write here that uh, uh, to the adulterer I became an adulterer so that I might reach the adulterer. Okay, there there are limits to to his his where he's willing to go in this discussion. Why? Because he doesn't want to mischaracterize. The gospel. He doesn't want to misrepresent what the gospel means. Now, I think we would all admit or all be comfortable with that idea that, okay, I'm, there's certain sins, obviously, I'm not going to do because that would misrepresent the gospel. And so I'm not going to do those things because, you know, um, that just makes sense. But Paul here has that other side that I think sometimes we, we, we're not as mindful of as Christians. And that is what? He says, I, I put myself under law, but only so far. Only willing to go so far in putting myself under the law. Because what? I don't want to misrepresent the gospel that way either. I don't want people to think that you have to follow a certain set of rules in order for you to be a Christian necessarily. And in particular, what I have in mind here is that the issue of what he's just discussed back in chapter 8 is meat sacrificed to idols or eating food with, with Gentiles for that matter. We have an account in, in Acts chapter 15 and Galatians 2 of uh, Peter. And, and the passage tells us that, that Peter is there and, and he's eating with these Gentiles. And he's just having a good old time. He's just he's, he's eating the food that's put in front of him. He's fellowshipping with these, uh, these non-Jews and and everything's going well, and then a group of Judaizers shows up. That is, a group of people who believe that, that even as Christians, we need to follow the Jewish laws. They show up. And because of the peer pressure, because of 
their presence. Peter gets up and he leaves those Gentiles. He leaves that meal and, and, and goes and sits with them and, and begins to avoid the Gentiles. And Paul says in, in Acts 15 and, and in Galatians 2, I got right up in Peter's face. And I told him that what he was doing was wrong. That decision to leave that table, to abandon those, those believers for the sake of this party over here was wrong. Now, why was it wrong? Not because he'd hurt their feelings. This isn't a, a question of, of that sort of thing. It's what? Because Peter, in making that move, was misrepresenting the gospel. And he was suggesting to those Gentiles and to the group he moved over that uh, to, to eat with that, yes, we, we still need to follow those laws. We still need to we need still need to, to hold true to the old customs. But that was part of what it meant to be a Christian. And Paul says, you can't misrepresent Christ like that. But Paul was willing to make sacrifices in, in certain settings as long as, again, it didn't misrepresent the gospel. And in, and in particular, the, the one he mentions in Galatians is the issue of circumcision. Again, circumcision was part of the, the Jewish covenant, the first covenant. And there were some who believed that as Christians you needed to become circumcised if you converted as part of your faith, as part of your, your change. And Paul says there in Galatians, he says, I would not allow Titus to be circumcised because it would send a message that that was necessary for salvation. So you, you hear him clearly saying there in, in that setting, no, I'm not going to misrepresent the gospel. But what? In Acts, it tells us that as he was getting ready to take Timothy with him, that he circumcised Timothy. Why? For the sake of the gospel. So that Timothy could be heard in the, the, the places he was going to be preaching and teaching and so forth. But he was willing to do that. Why? Because in that setting, he wasn't saying it was necessary for salvation. In that setting, he was saying, I'm doing this so that I can preach somebody. I'm doing that just to get a hearing. So Paul's ethic, Paul's motivation in, in this situation was, was that I'm going to meet these people where they're at, and I'm going to go to great lengths to do so if I have to, just as long as I don't mischaracterize, misrepresent the gospel and, and what it is. And, and we need to understand today that we, we corrupt this idea when we become more concerned about false cultural norms of what being a Christian is than in meeting with the lost who we've been called to save. I, I can't walk over there and, and interact with them. They're, they're doing whatever. When are you going to be able to walk over and talk to them? When are you going to be able to, to engage that person? When are, when are you going to be able to, to confront them with their need for salvation? If you wait until people are doing just the right things to encounter them, to engage them, to, to talk to them about Christ, you're going to miss an awful lot of opportunities to share Christ with us. We need to be mindful of the truth that, that, that God has, has freed us. He's freed us to be able to talk to people who previously would have been beyond our reach, previously would have been 
cut off from us by some rule or some law. Second thing Paul wants us to understand here is that our motivation for our freedom defines the appropriate starting point of that freedom. Where where do we start? Okay, where where does my freedom start? My freedom starts with with my motivations. What are my motivations for engaging this person? What are my motivations for more appropriately expressing the freedom that I say I have in Christ? You see, freedom for freedom's sake is rooted in rebellion. If your mindset concerning the freedom you have in Christ is, look how I'm free and look how I can do whatever I want. Look, I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. If that's your motivation, if that's your mindset, that I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, that's rebellion. That's not freedom. That's rejecting God's direction. That's rejecting God's role. That's rejecting God's authority in your life. He says what? I became a slave to Christ. I became a slave to Christ. And in doing so, I found freedom. So our freedom is not grounded in, well, I get to be free. I can do this just because I can. Going back to the illustration of, you know, leaving for college and so forth. There, there were opportunities that I had. Even, even at that little Baptist university I was out at out West Texas, there were opportunities I had to participate in things that I knew were not characteristic of who I was. And a lot of times the temptation came by ways of, oh, come on, your parents aren't even here anymore. And if I had acted on that on because of that motivation, that would have been sin. Why? Because my motivation for doing what I was doing wasn't to express Christ. My motivation wasn't to connect with somebody. My motivation wasn't even to, to reveal the freedom I have in Christ. My motivation was, I don't have to listen to mom and dad anymore. It was freedom for freedom's sake. And that's rebellion. Paul wants us to understand that, that freedom is characteristic of a mature Christian. He consistently throughout his throughout his letters refers to the person who is expressing or living in freedom as the person who is strong. And those who are pulling back from that as weak. And his point is is not that, that they're better whatever. His point is that they've grown up some. They're more mature. And this freedom is Paul's goal for all Christians. To what end? To share the gospel. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 23. I'll just read the whole verse. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessing. What's my motivation? My motivation is to see someone come to Christ. And in seeing someone come to Christ, I get more out of that than I would the so-called so freedom that I think is so important. I think one of the, the reasons that our churches are suffering, the reason we're losing members, the reason we're, we're seeing students not uh, come to church after they head off to college and so forth, because they don't see Christianity as worthwhile. 
And the reason we don't see Christianity worthwhile is because so few of us have actually led someone to Christ. I'm not going to take a poll or anything, but but how many of you have actually led someone to Christ? Introduced them to Jesus and, and, and taken them on that journey from being lost, being found, being dead to being alive. The reason we don't see the relevance of Christianity is because we never see it at work in someone's life. When we share Christ and, and we get that joy, we get that moment of seeing that person come to Christ. We share in that blessing. We experience that excitement. We experience that joy. We experience that, that newness all over again. I think most of us would remember that, that, that time when we, when we came to Christ and how excited we were, how, how full of joy we were, how on fire for the Lord we were. We wanted everybody to know, I accepted Jesus. Whether we were 8 or 18, I came to Jesus. And, and we were telling everybody, we didn't care what anybody thought. But somewhere along the way, a month, two months, three months in, Maybe somebody said something or, or something like that, and we just got real quiet about it. And we settled into a status quo that was just satisfactory. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I go to church. Yeah, you know, I sing the songs, and I listen to the preacher. I, I am taking notes. Yeah, and, and I pray on a regular basis. Being a Christian is good. But there's no joy there. Worse, there's no excitement there. Because we lost sight of, we lost track of the difference Christ can make. We're so far removed from that difference forgotten what it feels like. How do you get that how do you get that back? It's not by coming forward every every week and saying, I'm rededicating my life this week. I've known people like that who who and that's that's their thing. Every Sunday or at least once a month, they're what? They're rededicating their life to Jesus. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're looking for that moment. They're looking for that feeling. They're looking for that that excitement that they had. You know where you find that excitement? It's investing others and sharing your faith with others and discipling others who Christ is. Seeing them come, seeing them grow, seeing them transform. You become transformed. You begin to grow. You begin to mature in your faith. So Paul says, I'm, I'm doing all this because I can share in those blessings. I, I, I'm motivated by that path. I'm motivated by that purpose. So that's the starting point for my freedom. I'm going to express my freedom. I'm going to, I'm going to communicate my freedom in such a way that I see people come to Christ. That's, where does my freedom begin? It begins in that journey of seeing people come to Christ. That's my motivation. Okay, well, what's on the other eye? How far can I go in that? How far can I go in 
these things that I do. Well, the way I determine that is the third point, that I'm seeking the praise of God, not man. How far do I go in expressing my freedom? What acts am I willing to take part in? What acts am I not willing to take part in? The question simply comes down to the issue of, am I doing this to win the praise of man? Praise of God. And you see him talk about this there in that, that last paragraph, beginning in verse 24, where he's talking about this race. Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? He doesn't mean by that illustration to suggest only one person is ever going to be saved. The, the person who does this the best, they're the ones who get salvation and all the others. Because the prize here is not salvation. The prize he's talking about is not salvation. Now, how do I know that? Because I go back to chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, where, where Paul is talking about this idea of rewards. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. A fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul makes it very clear there. This is not a question of salvation. This is a question of rewards. And what is the reward he has in mind? It's not a bigger mansion. It's not another star in your crown. It's not a lot of the things that uh, we, we've heard over the years. Um, described simply this, the praise of our Father, praise of God. To hear that sentence, my good and faithful servant. That's the reward that, that Paul has in mind here. That's the, that's the reward that, that he has, that he's highlighting. He says our works will be revealed to be either eternal or passing. Where are those golden acts to be found? We have acts that are made out of gold and acts that are made out of straw. Where are the golden acts to be found? Where, where are those realities? Paul draws on this image of this runner. And this would have been an image familiar to the church here in Corinth. They had what were called the Isthmusian Games every two years. They were similar to what would later become the Olympics and so forth. They, they were these, uh, at, this is an athletic event that happened every two years in the city of Corinth. And so they were very familiar with this imagery. It was part of their life, part of their culture. And, and so the imagery relates three very important things. Number one, it relates discipline. Paul says that the person who runs the race, who wins the race, is what? It's the person who is disciplined to do the things that are necessary to get ready for it. He talks about mental exercises. He talks about um, spiritual exercises. You need to exercise your spiritual gifts, your spiritual actions, your spiritual activity. Otherwise, it what? 
it goes flat, goes weak. There was a time when, in my life, when um, I knew six languages. I can't claim that now. Not even close. Why? Because I stopped using those languages. French, German, Latin. Once in a while they'll come up, but by and large those are gone. I still know Greek and Hebrew because I'm in those all the time. But those other languages they left. Why? Because I didn't use them. And so they're just part of my past now. There was a time when I could I was working out quite regularly. I, I could squat quite a bit of weight. I couldn't even come close to doing that now. I, I carried some boxes for some students this past week, moving them in. I was like, this is going to kill me. This is a little box. This is going to kill me going up three flights of stairs. Why? Because I stopped working out. I stopped exercising. And I've lost that capacity. I've lost that ability. I've lost that, that the muscle tone. And I've lost the, the lung capacity and all those other things. It's just gone. Because I stopped using it. And there's a lot of us as Christians, myself included in certain areas, where we've lost some of the skills, some of the gifts, some of the abilities God has given us because we stopped using them. I've seen it in, in many people's lives where at one point in their life they were they were real natural just leading right into a spiritual conversation that led to sharing Christ. Just, just flowed right into it. Just amazing to watch them at work. And they stop using that, and now they struggle to even begin a conversation about Jesus. People who were once prayer warriors spend hours in prayer. Now they struggle to spend minutes in prayer. Why? Because they stopped using those muscles. They stopped using those spiritual realities. They stopped participating in those things. Because they stopped participating in those things, They've lost the capacity to do them the way they once did. And so those acts that are golden, those acts that, that last, those acts that are eternal are what? Acts that grow out of a disciplined lifestyle that's committed to the things of God, sharing our faith, praying, Bible study, worship, fasting, key spiritual disciplines that, that the scriptures say are to be a part of the believer's life. As we discipline ourselves to do those, as we, we push ourselves to participate, it's not easy. That's why the word is discipline, not party, whatever. The imagery talks about going the extra mile. We go further than people expect. We've seen it many times in movies or just in interviews with coaches or whatever, the person who wins the gold is why the person who swam a couple extra laps during practice instead of doing what was done. The person who was con constantly pushing themselves. And I'm not saying push yourselves to the point of exhaustion or push yourself to the point of, of, of being weighed down by these things. That's not freedom. What I'm saying is, is that we need to be willing to to push ourselves sometimes beyond what is comfortable. 
what we feel like doing. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times our, our nose to God grow not out of really being exhausted, but grow out of laziness. Energy relates to constant focus, not taking time off, so to speak. Again, I'm not talking about not participating in Sabbath rest. We need that. But again, as, as I pointed out earlier, a lot of people have lost their ability to do certain things they used to be very good at simply because they stopped doing it. Well, I'm going to take some time off from that. And then they never go back. So what are boundaries of my freedom? The boundaries of my freedom are motivation to share the gospel and a desire to hear the praises of God. And that, that'll help us set those limits in proper places. I'm willing to do this because I'm going to share the gospel, but I'm not willing to do that because I want to praise God. Ask those two simple questions. We can determine where we're to walk. But the only way you can really know how to praise God is what? Spending time with Him. How to get God's praise, excuse me, is just to spend time with Him. I know what things are going to please my bosses. I know what things are going to please my wife. Why? Because I've spent time with them. When I first came to ETBU, there was a, a certain amount of tension in my life because I wasn't really sure what was expected. Do I do that, or if I do that, am I going to get in trouble? What if I do that in a classroom? Will, will, you know, will my boss be visiting? And Dr. Sanders isn't here today, so I can say this. Um, <laughs> but there, there, was, there was these questions. What do I do? What am I free to do? What am I not free to do? But as time has passed, what? I understand him. I understand the president. I understand my dean. I understand... Uh, the chairman of my department better. I know what they expect, so I don't even have to ask those questions anymore. I know what I can or cannot do. Same thing comes with our relationship with God. The more you know him, the better you know him. You don't even have to ask the question, is that appropriate or not? You know who he is. You've heard his word. you responded to it. And that all begins with a relationship. It all begins with Submission of ourselves to him, giving of ourselves to him. Let him begin to change and transform us and, and make us into the people he desires us to, to be. That's that's what the, the whole nature of the book of Corinthians is and what the, the series is called, Becoming Who We Are. God has already made us in the people he desires us to be. It's just a matter of us living that Discovering that, walking in that, growing in that. That comes about through a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to the disciplines that God's laid before us. Walking that path, we can become the believers. We already are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity with which you speak to us.
God, may we respond with equal clarity, equal conviction. God, help us to be people you've called us to be, you've challenged us to be, the people you've made us to be. Help us, Lord, to, to walk in a way that reveals commitment to the gospel, seeing people come to Christ, but also commitment to, to hearing you praise us, those acts that are, that are golden. God, I, I thank you for the salvation you brought, the life you provided. I ask you, Lord, just to, to continue to move in our hearts and minds and change us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, that this morning would be the, the day they would respond. Or they would surrender themselves and give themselves over and to experience that relationship only with you. God, I also pray for myself and my fellow believers here. Help us, Lord, to find that line where we're expressing and experiencing freedom in such a way that we're attracting people to the gospel because of the life we live, the, the life we express. We're living not for the praises of man, but for your praise. Help us today to commit to that. In Christ's name I pray.